God is good. This morning, um, when before the first service started, Will came up to my friend Randy, who was here last year, and greeted him so warmly and said, I can't believe they decided to have you back. Uh, and he said that because he knew he could. Now, let me just tell you, genuine, I, one of the things that I look for in a genuine person is I look for somebody who, who takes God seriously and not themselves. You know? uh, sometimes we take ourselves so seriously that we're, God gets out of the equation. But uh, he's the one who needs to be serious. Uh, so anyway, uh, my old friend from high school, Randy Ray, uh, is with us this morning. He's going to bring the word. Come on up here, Randy. You guys welcome him. And just pretend like you're really glad he's here. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I've got my wa- Hey, oh, I've got my water from last time, Will. Thank you so much. I want to tell you something. The reason that I don't want that water and I want this water is because you have had time to doctor that water. <laughs> Go. Oh, I know. Don't. Hey, listen, just because you'll drink it and I won't doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> Hola. Hola. Good to see it. You know, I just, my wife and I just got back from two weeks in Argentina and uh, where I was uh, teaching um, pastoral epistles to 90 uh, Bible college students, uh, their third-year students. Here's something I've discovered about, about uh, God. This is profound. You may want to write it down. God is not an American. It's the truth. It's the truth. I, I mean, your pastor has been all over the world. I've been to to South America and Africa, and I've been to Europe. I've been to all of these places, and God shows up, and he's not American. Also, he's not Southern, which is harder for me to believe than that he's not American. <laughs> but I love God's work, and I love what God is doing in places that that I will never visit, but go there and... and you'll find that God was already there. And thank God for his presence in so many places. I love being back here at uh, your wonderful church. I love your pastor. Um, he, um, he has, we're, we're talking about life. We go all the way back to when he drove a javelin. And uh, that's how far we go back. And, uh, and I drove nothing. Uh, I drove my daddy's car. But, uh, but we go all the way back to those days. And uh, when, uh, when uh, Ronnie uh, lived in Millersville, <clears throat> next door to my sister, I believe. Uh, yeah, or just a couple of rows down from my sister, houses down from my sister. I know that you're in a, uh, a practical, uh, kind of a, a practicum uh, series of Okay, we want to talk about things that, that apply to right now. We want to talk to, about things that apply to our lives. And uh, sounded like last week was a wonderful message on, on your finances and on, on when is enough enough and those kinds of things. Today, I want to give you <clears throat> just a little tour through the normal Christian life. And, and let me say this. 
I believe that the, the normal Christian life <clears throat> is the normal life that is Christian. I, I believe that. I, I don't think I don't think that when when we get saved, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, that somehow or another <clears throat> we become a a, a, a unicorn and <clears throat> there's nothing uh, been like us anywhere in the world. I believe that we we become a new creation, and I believe that there is a new uh, man who is put within us, or a new person who is put within us in the person of the Holy Spirit, it's the presence of Christ in our life. But <clears throat> the life that we live is our normal life. We still get up on Monday. We still have to eat. We still have to sleep. We still do those regular things. So to that end, I want to bring a message to you about normal life and how it sometimes gets upset and then how it comes back again. And the title of the message is Jesus Still Walks on Water. And the text is John chapter 6 and verse 16. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at uh, the land to which they were going. This is one of the most celebrated passages of Scripture. This is one of those passages that you'll hear somebody refer to and not even know that they're referring to Scripture when they say, well, I bet you think that person can just walk on water. They don't realize they're talking about Scripture, but that is where they got this, that <clears throat> Jesus walked on water. Now, I, I want you to know that when you read your Bible, uh, there is certainly an interpretation, but there are so many applications uh, of the Word of God. Uh, we can all sit here and <clears throat> read the same passage just on our own silently, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, and, and we will come up with as many different applications as there are people in this room because that's the way God is. His Word is living. This is a, a living Word, and and it will it will take root and it'll bear fruit and it'll show up in your life and your life and your life and different lives. And you say, well, where did that come from? Well, the root was here. And you say, oh, well, that was the same root uh, from which I got this <clears throat> part of my life. So therein lies the beauty of the Word of God. When I read this passage of Scripture, I can see a lot of things. But one of the things that I see is the parallel <clears throat> to the life that we walk as believers. Well, let's just start out with this normal life. Now, this is the account that John gives of Jesus walking on the water. Matthew and Mark also give accounts of this extraordinary event and the the amazing display of God's power and all of the wonderful things that have happened, God's feeding of the 5,000 and those kinds of things. And so looking at the normal Christian life, what do we first see? Well, we see in these disciples, and these were the ones who were with Jesus, we see them following God's leadership. They have been called of the Lord. They have been changed by the Lord. And now they are walking with the Lord and they are following his leadership. And man, oh man, have they seen some things. They have seen a lot of things already. And on the very day of this event, they saw the the thousands of people fed from just a little basket of loaves and 
and fishes, and they've already seen the water turn to wine and the healing of the nobleman's son. They saw the, the lame man take up his bed and walk. These people have seen all of this, and they have experienced all of this with Jesus. Now, I don't think we'll take the time, but if we were to take the time and I were to ask you, hey, let's go back in your life and let's think of some of those things and just share with us when God really showed up and God really did something big and God really did something amazing. I think many of you, maybe all of you would have stories, maybe not of walking on water or feeding a 5,000, but you'd have some pretty amazing stories. And you know why? Because Jesus is pretty amazing. Amen. He just is. He's absolutely amazing. And this is the way that it has been for them. And, and I will tell you, that's the way that we think that it ought to be. When we're following the Lord, we think this is the way that it ought to work. That when we shoot the basket, we don't even touch the rim. It's nothing but net. And it's always, always number one, top drawer. No problems for me. I am following Jesus. That's the way that my life is going to be. Can't touch me. I'm following Jesus. But that's not always the way that it is. In fact, that's rarely the way that it is. They were following the God's leadership, and that's good. They were obeying now God's command. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. They did something that's really unusual. They got in a boat at nighttime to sail across the Sea of Galilee, which is Lake Gennesaret in Israel. And they went across the Sea of Galilee, and they did this at night, just at the beginning of night. Now, there were some, some seasoned fishermen, some people that knew uh, how to handle a boat and all of those kind of things. And I will tell you this, probably they're not going, the average person is not going to get in a boat and go out at night. I heard during the time between the first service and the second service, that your pastor's not going to get on a boat anytime, ever. <clears throat> that he does not like, he will, he will not see them or board them, Sam I am. He will not board them. And, and he's just not going to do it. And that's fine. But those of you, how many of you have boats? Would you raise your hand? Or you, you've been on a, let's say you like boats, right? You like boats. Oh, good, 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 good. How many of you like boats in the middle of the night with a storm going? One person? I'm sorry, sweetheart, but you're sick. <laughs> Something's wrong. I love you in the Lord, but something's not right with you. <laughs> Live a little longer. You'll hate just what I just said right there. Nobody wants to do that, but that's what these guys did. They got in the boat, and they went out in the middle of the night. Why did they do something? So dumb. Why would, no, we don't do that stuff. Why do you do that? Why would they do that? Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. Here's what Matthew said. In Matthew 14, 22, immediately he, that being Jesus, you remember the one that fed the 5,000, that uh, caused the lame man to stand, healing of the nobleman's son, turned water into wine. He, <clears throat> Jesus, listen to this, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Wow. Now, the reason that's significant is because he knew that he was sailing them out into the dark and a storm was coming. Absolutely, 100% knew it. He didn't say, hey, guys, 
Y'all vote and see whether or not you want to get in the boat and go over there tonight. He, he said, guys, get in the boat and go. Well, Lord, I mean, you're the master, but it looks like the skies are getting bad. Yeah, get in the boat and go. We've done this a lot. Get in the, okay, we're getting in the boat and we're going. And they got in the boat and they obeyed the Lord and they're out there rowing. And you know what happened? God just calmed the sea and they had no problems at all. Yet. They absolutely just rode out into the middle of a storm. And, and it was horrible. And, and they, they, they're like some of us when we say, Lord, I, I acknowledge that all the money was yours and I gave to your work and I was the kind of steward that I ought to be and still I lost my job. What's going on? Or Lord, I've, I've done the best that I could to be a good uh, husband or father or wife or, or whatever it may be and still the thing is falling apart. What's going on? Lord, I am obeying you. Why uh, is there a stormy sea? asked that? I have too. We've all asked that. And sometimes the reason that we're out there is because Jesus made us go. I don't really want to do this. Yes, but you're going to do this. My, I'm a preacher's son. Ryan's a preacher's son. People used to come up to me and they say, you're going to be your daddy's little preacher boy. That's exactly right. You know what I say to him, Ronnie? No way. Nobody was more shocked than I was when God called me to preach. I remember I, remember I called my mother. And you have to understand, I was raised in a strain of Baptist that the big event was going to the funeral home. Uh, that was the big event. And I called my mother and I said, Mother, God's called me to preach. She said, oh, Where'd you find out? I said, Mother, I'm not terminal. God has called me to preach, okay? <laughs> Sometimes we just go out into places because that's where God called us. So they sailed out into the dark. That's called taking a risk. They got into some risky business. And in the course of every life, there's going to be some risk. And in the course of following Jesus Christ, there are going to be some risks. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can't risk that. You, you can't risk that, that uh, a saved soul will go to hell. But can I just tell you something? It is impossible to go to hell trusting Jesus. There's nobody in hell today trusting Jesus. Well, how did you get here? I don't know. Trusting Jesus and ended up down here. Well, that's impossible. You can't be here. I mean, there are a lot of things that, that you're not going to risk, but there are some things that you're going to risk. And if, if, you, if you are looking for a risk-free life, you might not want to be a Christian, and you certainly don't want to be a Springhouse Christian. <laughs> Can I get a witness? I mean, you really don't. Because people are going to say, oh, you go to Springhouse. All right, next. Seriously, when your faith is demonstrative, 
when your faith is something that you really believe in, when your faith is something you're going to live, there's a risk with it. It's just going to happen. So that's the normal circumstances. Secondly comes the abnormal. That's the normal life. Secondly comes the abnormal circumstances. Verse 17 and 18. It was now dark and Jesus had not come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing when they had rowed about three or four miles. Now here's the abnormal circumstances. First of all, they're away from sure footing. They are away from solid ground. They're not where they can see where they're going. Uh, look, this is what it means when it says to walk by faith and not by sight. There's nothing that they've got going except faith. And it was running out quick because they were out in the middle of a storm away from sure footing in the deep. You know what the Bible says about, uh, about the, where they were on the lake? It says that they were halfway, three to four miles, three and a half. Well, the Sea of Galilee is seven miles across. They were somewhere near the middle. You know how deep the Sea of Galilee is? The deepest point is 130 feet deep. So I don't, it's not a big stretch of the imagination to say they were in over their head. And they may have been at the point that's 130 feet deep and it is raining cats and dogs and the wind is blowing back and forth and they are taking on water. And they're scared. They are afraid. They are frightened. This is not good. And we're out here because Jesus made us leave at dark. And they had been rowing, the Bible will, will find out in a minute, they had been rowing for nine hours and had gotten no further than half of the sea, half of the lake. Taking on water. How long is this going to last? What is going on here? Is this it? Aren't those the questions you've asked? How long is this happening? How did this, how did we get here? Is this it? And it becomes a very difficult time for us. Look, you may not be in a storm right now, but you will be, or you have been. Or there's somebody in your life who is this moment. You've got to understand that a lot of that is just following the Lord. Oftentimes, when, when we get in a storm, our first thought is, what did I do wrong? There's nothing that these disciples did wrong. They did everything right. God said, Come with, follow me. They followed him. God said, follow me some more. They followed him some more. God said, I'm going to stay on the shore while you go out into the, to the sea. And it's nighttime. And they said, okay, we'll do that. Too. And they got out there and it was the middle of a horrible situation. So you got the picture now. They're out on the water. They're afraid. They're there because God put them there. 
They're taking on water. The wind is blowing. The rain is coming. This is not good. And in the middle of all of this, they see what I call a paranormal situation. I ask you to forgive the word paranormal, but everything had to end in normal. I'm a Baptist. There is a poem coming. Okay? That's funny right there. I, you know, I got a kick out of that myself. That's funny. Uh, in the middle of the largest and deepest lake in Israel, struggling for nine hours to go even three and a half miles with winds blowing violently and waves lashing at and over the side of the boat, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And they were so excited because they had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, and they knew that he was going to come and get them. They were so excited because they saw him turn water into wine, and this storm wouldn't be anything for him. They were so thrilled. I mean, they were thrilled because they saw him cause a lame man to get up and walk, and they saw him heal a nobleman's son, and they knew this man was God. This man is Jesus, and he's going to come and get us. They were so excited when he came to them, they were scared to death. Just absolutely scared. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. In Matthew's gospel, they said, It's a ghost. Is it amazing to you how quickly our faith just goes, just leaks out, just goes nowhere? I mean, we were in such good shape, and then, oh, no, a storm. Oh, me. And there it is again. They had this curious sight. They saw Jesus walking on the water, something they had not seen Once in a while, God will just do something you haven't seen before. I, I, I didn't tell this in the first service, but I'm going to tell you. I, passed, I started a church in, in the, the Madison area. It's now in Goodnessville. It's called Metro Baptist Church. It's on the north side of town. It's got a green roof uh, just past uh, that, that conference drive area and all that. And my, my worship leader is a guy named Craig Giesemann. He's still there. And Craig Giesemann, several months ago, uh, was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And I went to see him back in June, and he was already suffering some from it. But he told me, he said, we just, we believe in God, and, and we're going we're gonna to beat this thing. And, and the things you're supposed to, to do, and the, praying the way you're supposed to pray. But I'm going to tell you something. He's, he's gotten bad and then worse and then worse again and bad again. And they they harvested stem cells from his body to do a reintroduction of stem cells, whatever therapy that is, and, and he's too weak for that. And then last week, he fell into what, for lack of a better way to say it, was a coma. And they took him to Sarah Cannon, where Margaret was. They took him to Sarah Cannon. And the doctors came in last Wednesday, and they said he has a matter of days. 
called the family in. And the family had already come in, and what they decided to do was to put out word that at 4 o'clock last Wednesday in, in, on Central Time, and whatever time it was, wherever you were, uh, to please pray for God to heal Craig. Y'all are familiar with that concept. Please pray for God to heal Craig. And Craig was getting regular morphine. Terrible, terrible, regular morphine. And then at 4 o'clock Central Time, his family gathered around him praying. I prayed in Tallahassee. My wife prayed in Tallahassee. I had a friend praying in Argentina. I had a niece praying in New Zealand. And, and there were others, of course, multiplied me by multiple, multiple times. And, and people all over the world were praying for him. And about that time, his pain subsided. They actually took him off the morphine. And he began to respond a little bit. He opened his eyes, looked at his family. The, the second day, he swung his legs off the bed, and he had two daughters, like Pastor Ronnie, and he put his arms around each of the daughters, and they kind of held him up, and Val, they danced. He was still so sick. But he continued. And I, I got a, a, a message from his wife that said, hey, uh, because I told her that we were in town, and I, I said, look, uh, we'll do whatever you want to do. I, let me tell you how bad, how bad he, he was. And, and he's still bad. I brought a suit and tie and all of that. I, it's in the back of my vehicle right now because I thought I was going to be going to a funeral while I was up here. I really did. <clears throat> she asked if we'd come over. I went in yesterday. Jan went in first. Lisa said to him, Honey, do you know who this is? And he said, Jan. And then I came in. He said, Randy. And we started visiting, and he, he began to respond a little bit. And we visited for a while, and he got a little more responsive. And I, I said, Craig, I, I thought of you the other day, and I, I want to read. I want to. I told you there was a poem coming. I said, I said, I want to read some words of a song that you have sung all of your life, and it's always blessed me. And I began to read, "The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star." and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Then I said, Craig, I'm going to try and sing a little bit. And I sang, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole who stretched from sky to sky. And then I sang the chorus, O love of God. And he looked and he said, how rich 
<laughs> and then he sang with me, how measureless and strong. It shall, he said, forever more. And that weak voice, I heard that, I heard the baritone come out. In the saints and angels song. And he began to cry. And he couldn't stop crying. And he couldn't stop singing. And he sang, the love of God, how rich and true. How much? And he sang it four times through. You say, wasn't that abnormal? Well, it really was. But from somewhere, the door, the window, the floor, the ceiling, or just out of a cup somewhere, the Holy Spirit filled the room. And, and I was having... I was having not a Baptist experience and, and, and not a Pentecostal experience. Craig looked at his son and said, it's God. I'm about to have a running fit. <laughs> they looked at Jesus and said, it's a ghost, he said. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know what happened? After that calming word, then they put out their hand and they took him into the boat. Oh, that's it, folks. Taking him into the boat. Lord, it's storming. I'm sad. I'm hurting. I'm confused. I don't know if I can carry on. What am I to do? Don't be afraid. It's me. Take me into the boat. And do you know what happened when they took Jesus into the boat? The Bible says, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Nine hours, Ronnie. Nine hours. They're rowing. Seasoned fishermen, men who, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about real guys. Heave, heave. They didn't get any further than halfway. Jesus shows up. They put their hand out. They take him in the boat. And immediately they were where they were going. Immediately they were there. Jesus was in the boat. The ship was right again. And land was back in sight. Just a moment ago, you saw some little children holding balloons because they were dedicating Marmee's place. Oh, last November, your pastor, one of our good friends, Hank Abbott, we don't know why we like him. We really don't. But he's, he's Hank, and we've always liked him, so we just like him. 
they came down to, to uh, visit. Well, actually, I had been here, and I can't remember exactly what month I was here, but yeah, yeah, around September, I was here, and, and we went to, Valerie, you went to lunch with us that day? And, and your mom had on a tattoo sleeve, a little, yeah, kind of a, a little, little funny looking thing, yeah, with squirrels and stuff on it. And I look at it, there you go. And she explained it. She said, I got this thing on my arm and this is, you know, this is covered up. Yeah. You just, that's okay. Well, in November, your pastor was, was in Tallahassee and with, uh, with the Hank, we don't know why we like him, and 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 he. Well, I'm glad he's not here. I, actually, I wish he was here. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> Hank and we came in from sitting outside, and and finally got a call from uh, Margaret. And he went in the other room, talked to her. He came out and he said, "Where's Margaret?" Well, she went to the doctor. You know that thing that was on her arm? Yeah. They found something on her head. And and they think that it's related and she's not sure. And it's just kind of a it's kind of a different. And that was the beginning of a journey. I guess it started earlier, but that was when we knew that the boat was wrong. And one thing led to another, and your church, what a great church you are. You loved your pastor, and you loved your pastor's wife, and you loved the family right there. And you prayed for them. They knew it. And the final answer was that Margaret put out her hand. And now, she would take Jesus into the boat and he took her to shore. I watched the funeral service. I couldn't be here. I wanted to be here. But I watched it online. I watched every minute of it. Right here. Right here in the middle. There was a White casket. In in the book of Genesis, they talk about Joseph dying and being put in a casket or a coffin and buried in Egypt. The word coffin, the, the Greek word for that is the word from which we get hope chest. You some of you ladies remember what a hope chest was? Yeah, you you put things for one day when you get married, and then, you know, well, it's a hope chest because somebody's coming to redeem the treasure inside. And Margaret, her body was in the hope chest. Her presence was on shore. And I listened to the children and and Ronnie walked up and when it came his time, he said, I've got some pretty great kids. Don't, I mean, come on, seriously, don't I? You remember that? Yeah. I remember that that Valerie said she helped me find my voice. Somehow I didn't have a voice and she helped me find it. 
and Arwen talked about the partnership and the friendship and how they somehow or another became more than mother and daughter. They became a, they were like colleagues and friends. And Isaac, <laughs> Isaac, I remember him. I believe he was standing about right here. And he said, the, the door was going down the, and I waved it long and all the way down. And what he said about mom was that she always saw him. God's answer for Margaret was to put her on the solid shore, the celestial shore. One day that'll be the answer for all of us. If Jesus doesn't come, we, we sang about him coming earlier. But one day that'll be our answer if we go before he comes. But until then, there are plenty of storms. And with every storm, there's the opportunity to put out your hand and take Jesus into the boat and be where he wanted you to be when he first let you get into the storm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message has reached a need and has gone through what has been for some real difficulty and it has found root and place. And I pray, Lord, that this will be the benchmark for everyone here the next time we find ourselves on stormy sea that before we scream we're sinking that we'll look around for you walking to us. Put out our hand. Take you into the boat. And trust you to help us find footing on shore. I pray this in the powerful and sweet name of Jesus. Amen.